Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me, if you would, this morning to 1 Timothy. We are continuing the series today on on, uh, balanced, godly, prosperity, balanced, godly prosperity, and what the Bible has to say on this subject. Uh, As I pointed out in, in earlier sessions, when we talk about any Bible subject or when you study a Bible subject, uh, it's easy for people to get in the ditch on one side of the road or the other. And an extreme position on any Bible subject is to take one side of it to the exclusion of everything else. And um, uh, somebody illustrated it like this. I've never heard a better illustration. Bible subjects are sort of like mountains. And, you know, there are different sides to any one mountain. And you can climb up a mountain, you know, or you can approach a mountain and look at it uh, from one side. And if you were an artist, you could paint... A, a painting of that mountain. That's what that mountain looks like. But you know, somebody standing on the other side of that mountain wouldn't even recognize what you painted. It would look entirely different from the other side of the mountain. And, and, and even from the other two sides, you know, the, from the four corners, it, it, would look in, it would look different as you went around that mountain. Well, Bible truths are the same way. They, they look differently when you look at them uh, through... Uh, one set of scriptures, but if you look at them through another set of scriptures, it's the same mountain. It's not a different mountain and it's not a different truth. There's one truth, but there are different aspects of that truth. And it's, what is extreme in any doctrine is when people take, take one side of, the, of, a, of a biblical truth and that's all they preach. They want you to see one side of it and they don't preach the other sides of it. That's, that's where error comes from. Well, the truth is right down the middle of the road, getting out of the ditch on one side or the other side and coming into the middle of the road. And, and the way you do that is by presenting everything the Bible says. Amen. And so in studying prosperity, uh, we need to look at it from a balanced viewpoint, uh, taking in, into consideration all that the Bible has to say. Have you found First Timothy chapter six? In verse number nine, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if you take, again, if you take one passage or one truth from the Bible and you take it out by itself, it will tend to, it'll make you think that the whole Bible says this one thing. But the Bible very often says a lot of different things and one truth from the Bible is part of the big picture. And uh, as I started this series, the reason I started it is because uh, there seems to be a tendency today among 
uh, those who would consider themselves prosperity teachers. In other words, those who, who focus on that. That's their, that's their main message. Uh, I've noticed a tendency to be unbalanced at times. And there's a tendency to leave the... There, it, many times people leave the impression that uh, uh, prosperity, by biblical prosperity, is just having more and more and more and more, just accumulating more and more and more things. But remember, Jesus said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Life is more important than our, than our possessions. Life is more important than money. Life is more important than, than uh, just running after more and more material uh, wealth or material uh, blessing and so forth. Now, when there are certain, certain warnings in the Bible, Jesus gave some very serious warnings. Remember we read uh, last week, I think, about the uh, uh, young, rich young ruler that came to Jesus and, and uh, he said, you know, what do I need to do? And Jesus finally said, he said, well, you know, give to the poor. Sell what you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says that this young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So Jesus turned to his disciples and said, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that ought, to, that ought to give us pause. And, but then we notice that the disciples were astonished at what he said. Well, the fact that they were astonished at what he says is an indication that it was different than what they expected him to say. It was different from what they understood to be true. Because we know from the Old Testament that uh, one of the many blessings that accompany obedience and following after the Lord is that he would bless you financially. Amen. And uh, over Deuteronomy, you know, it, it talks about, and, we, and those of us, you know, who are reading through the Bible, you know, reading in Deuteronomy right now. Earlier, you know, in the chapter, we read that, uh, that the Lord told uh, Israel through Moses he said when you go in to possess this land you're going to have all of these wonderful houses and this wonderful uh, 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 vineyards and crops and, and materials and, and, uh, uh, and so forth he said you know you need to remember that it's the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish your covenant and, and there are other scriptures like that if you're willing and obedient you'll eat the good of the land Amen. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. If you seek after wisdom, grain, wisdom, and understanding, he said in his left hand is, is length of days and his right hand riches. Isn't that right? Well, you can understand why the disciples would have been astonished when Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. Because everything they knew about the Old Testament was that God promised if you'd do right and live right, he'd make you rich. And now here Jesus is saying it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they were astonished. So then Jesus responded then again to their astonishment and explained it. He said, it's difficult for one who trusts in riches. Well, why didn't Jesus just say that to begin with? Why didn't he just start out saying that? Was he just trying to, you know, uh, uh, have a certain amount of shock value? Actually, when he said how difficult it is for, for one who trusts in, in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
His disciples then were even more astonished. It said they were greatly astonished. So what Jesus had done, he had, he had not only uncovered in this rich young ruler, he had not only identified his problem, he identified a problem with the disciples. Well, again, why did he do that in two stages? Why did he say it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Why didn't he just start out by saying it's difficult for one who, who trusts in riches? It's because having riches so easily lends trust to trusting in riches. We'll say that again. Having riches so easily and so readily lends itself to trusting in riches. It's so much so that we have to be warned about it. We have to be aware of it in order to protect ourselves of that. Now, in, in, the, fifth, in the fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus talked about the deceptiveness. He's, you know, talking about the sower sows the word. And he says, then those who were sown among thorns were those who the cares of this life and the, and the deceivingness or the deception of riches. Riches deceive. They do. I said riches, well, let me put it this way. Riches can deceive. They don't have to. But if you're not aware of how they do deceive, it's easily to be deceived. Amen. So again, in this passage, let's go back here because this is our text. And verse nine says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I, I, you know, I presented this last week uh, in the sense that this would seem to contradict the promise of God because God promises to prosper us. In fact, he promises to make us rich. It's a scripture Pastor Greg read this morning where it says God is able to make all grace. The Amplified says every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient. Possessing enough to require no aid or help for yourself, but furnished in abundance to give to every good opportunity, every good in, in work and charitable donation. That's being rich. Now listen, take, take the idea of rich and, and, and just and, and X out a dollar figure. Being rich doesn't mean having any certain level of money or income or any certain level of possessions. Being rich, according to the Bible, is having an abundant supply, just like that verse says, furnished in abundance so that no matter what happens, any kind of emergency comes up, any kind of a downturn uh, 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 manifest, anything comes, like I said, uh, you know, unusual uh, need arises, you have plenty to meet that need. That's being rich. And having enough left over after those unusual expenses to even help somebody else. That's being rich. I remember when my wife and I, in 1985 or 86, she developed a growth on her neck. And she, I, didn't, I hadn't noticed it, but she pointed it out to me. This, there was a, a place on her neck that was getting larger. 
And uh, so she went to the doctor. Now, in 1986, we, didn't, we had not yet bought health insurance. My wife and I weren't carrying any health insurance. And uh, one reason was that money was just tight, you know, and, and we didn't, you know, there's, you, there's, there's always money to do what you absolutely want to do, you know, but it wasn't a high enough priority. We were healthy, you know, and, and, and it was a lot of money, and so we just didn't have health insurance. She developed this growth on her neck, and so she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, you know, that's going to have to come out, her thyroid. And, so, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's cancerous or not, but it's got to come out. And so we prayed about it, and, uh, and, and, and the Lord instructed me to go ahead with it. And so, uh, so we, we did that, but here we are. We're faced with a doctor's, surgeon's bill and the hospital bill for surgery. We had no insurance. Well, you know, we just, we trusted God. We were also at that, and I was fixing to say, at that particular time, we were also not taking a salary because the church uh, a few months before that had experienced a little tightening, you know, in the the finances, a little downturn. And so I just decided I wouldn't take a salary. I don't think you were taking one then at all anyway. But I said, I'm not taking a salary. Now, my board of advisors at the time, they protested. We had an associate pastor, Lance Fricky was on staff. And my board of advisors at that time, they protested. They said, no, 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 pastor, you're not taking a cut in pay. And, and Brother Lance said, no, I need to take a cut in pay. And, and, and the advisors were in agreement that, you know, pastor doesn't need a cut in pay. You know, let Lance take a cut in pay or we'll just cut everybody equally. But you know, a pastor is like the daddy, of a church. And, and I was acting on that scripture, that principle, you know, that the children ought not to lay up for the, for the parents, with the parents for the children, or however that said. I was taking care of the family. Right. And uh, let me just add this. When you, have a, when you have a leadership situation in your church like we had then and we have now, where the, the, those who... Uh, represent the church like in, like in the advisors, they want to put the pastor first and the pastor wants to put the church first, you have heaven on earth because everybody is considering the other guy. Everybody wants to put the other one first. You know what ought to be that way? And it's always been that way in our church. But because I was the pastor, you know, I got my way. And I said, no, I'm not going to take a salary for now. Now, listen, a long-term situation, that wouldn't be appropriate. You, 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 uh, I know of churches where they're not pay, paying their pastor anything hardly and they've got the staff and it's been going on for years and years and years. That ought not be. If you can't afford to take care of your pastor, you don't need all this extra staff. But I knew in this particular uh, instance that this was gonna be very short. It was gonna not be very long and I could handle it. You know, I'm just gonna believe God. So that happened just before we found out that Angela was gonna have to have surgery. So here we are, we have no salary and we don't have any insurance, we don't have any income. I mean, we had income, but not from the church. In other words, we're just believing God and God was supplying our needs. And uh, so here, here we are, we have to have surgery. Well, Angela had the surgery. The doctor forgave the, uh, his surgeon fee. Now, fill me in here, tell me what happened, I forget. Surgeon, surgeon's fee was half. He cut it in half. Anesthesiologist didn't charge her anything. And God supplied the hospital bill. 
Now, at the same time, I had just the year before, uh, in the uh, uh, end of the year before, I had just joined RMAI. RMAI, uh, Raymond Ministerial Association International, had just been created. And I joined it as a charter member just the year before. Well, this was in 86, and this particular time when all this was going on, our first regional retreat was planned for South Carolina, Charleston. And it was the desire of both of our heart, you know, to go to this. It was going to take some money to go to it. So here we had no income. We had doctor bills. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, there's this event that I wanted to go to. Listen, God so took care of us during this time. Like I said, the doctor bills were, were just, God just supernaturally moved. We had, the, we had the money that came in. We paid those doctor bills. We went to that ministerial retreat and we paid the way of another pastor and his wife who would not have been able to attend if we hadn't helped them. We paid their way in addition to our way. That's being rich. Now, I didn't have a lot of money in the bank, but God was meeting my needs abundantly and I had money to give to somebody else. So when you think about being rich, don't think about a dollar figure. Think about being rich is being blessed to the point that you have everything you need and abundance left over enough to give to somebody else. Amen. Amen. So we have this promise that God will make you rich. And then we have this warning, those who desire to be rich are hurting themselves. Creating problems for themselves. Well, you know, if you, if you take this one scripture out of its setting and, and just uh, read it in isolation of everything else, it gives you one point of view. But then when you know that the Bible says something else about this that seems to say something different, then you have to dig a little deeper. Both of those things on the face of them could not be true without taking both of them together. So we discovered that last week that it's your motivation. Why do you desire to be rich? Notice he said those who desire to be rich, and then go over to verse 10, for the love of money. Those who desire to be rich for the love of money. And then greediness. Those who desire to be rich for the love of money because of greediness. Those are the ones who fall into temptation and snare. But on the other hand, there's a, there are other motives for, for wanting to be rich. There's a desire to be rich that's based on the desire to be a blessing. See, over in, in 2 Corinthians, where, where Pastor Greg read the passage this morning, in that passage, it talks about being generous. God wants to supply you with all of these things so that you can be liberal, not politically, generous. <laughs> Generous, so that you can be generous in your giving. Well, if that's your motivation, it's not wrong to, be, to desire to be rich because you're not desiring to be rich for the love of money. You're desiring to be rich for the love of being a blessing. Well, that changes everything. Amen? Well, let's go on reading here. He said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves, themselves through with many sorrows. Well, the love of money, something we need to look at. Amen. 
Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of riches. He warned of those who, remember the man that we read about that uh, God called a fool because he said, you know, I have, he have all of these, these uh, his crops had produced uh, bountifully and he said, I don't have room for my, for my you know, new crops, my increase because I'm, all of my barns are filled. Now you think about this, this man, this was in, in Luke 12, this man was a rich man whose crops had yielded abundantly. So he was already rich before his crops came in. Well, if he was a rich man, you know he had big barns. Again, he was already rich. So if he was rich and he was a farmer, then he had become rich farming. And you know he had big barns and big storehouses. But then he had this bumper crop that came in. And he said, you know what? I don't have any place to put my new crops. So what I'll do is I'll tear down my my old barns and storage houses and I'll build bigger barns and bigger storage houses, houses and then I'll take my rest and so forth. And God said, you're a fool because this night your soul is gonna be required of you. Then he said, then the Lord said, and then whose will this be that you have provided? In other words, all this stuff you've laid up, who will it, who will it go to? It goes back to the old truth, you can't take it with you. Isn't that right? So Jesus warned about these things. We need, to, we need to take these warnings seriously because God wants to bless you and he will bless you, but he, don't, he does not want his blessing to be your ruin. Well, how do riches deceive? Just how do they do it? We're going to ask this question, we're going to answer it, and we're going to answer the question of how to tell whether you've been deceived by riches or how to tell if you have love for money. How do you know? Well, first of all, riches deceive because they deceive you into trusting in them instead of the God who gave them. I have seen it over and over again where God... Where God blessed someone because they were really trusting him to bless them. They really had a, had a, a need in their life and then they, they had a vision and a, and a dream that, that they felt led of God uh, to pursue and God honored their faith and blessed them. But they began to trust in what they had accumulated and where they, had, where they started out trusting in God, they ended up trusting in the riches. It's a very real danger. Jesus said, it's difficult for those who trust in uncertain riches. Go over there to Mark chapter 10. Look at that again. Mark chapter 10. How hard is it for those who trust in riches? Who trust in riches? He said it's difficult when you trust in them to maintain God's blessing on your life. Those riches then become a curse to you because you've, you've taken your trust away from God who provided it and put it on the things. Another thing that 
causes people, or, or another way that money or riches deceives is because it, it deceives people into thinking they're better than other people. Have you ever noticed that? Go back over to 1 Timothy 6 again. 1 Timothy 6. We read here in verse 9 and 10, but go down to verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. That word haughty means high-minded. To be, think of yourself above other people. You know, riches deceive people into thinking they're better than other people. Because of, because of riches, you can drive a better automobile. You can wear nicer clothes. You can afford a bigger house. You can go to nicer restaurants. Are you following me? If, if people aren't careful, they begin to look at themselves as though they're somebody special, that they're in a higher class than other people because their money has, has elevated them to, a, to another level of living. Money will do that. It'll elevate you from, from uh, you know, shopping at Walmart for your clothes to shopping at someplace else. Isn't that right? You can start wearing better clothes. You ladies can start affording better and more numerous pairs of shoes. You can start getting your nails done more professionally than you had in the past. Come on now. You can start driving a nicer automobile. You can even get a really nice automobile and you're decked out in your nice designer clothes, and you're in your really cool, super cool automobile, and you live in a, a super cool community gated with a bunch of people that, that make a lot of money, it's easy to start thinking of yourself differently than people where you came from. Amen. Amen. But the Bible says... What do you have that you didn't receive from the Lord? And if you received it from the Lord, why do you act like you didn't receive it and act like it's just because you're something special? Amen. Riches deceive also because they give a false sense of security. This is the verse I was looking for. They trust in uncertain riches. They give a false sense of security. Remember the man, Luke chapter 12? He said, I know what I'll do. He said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build, build bigger barns and bigger storehouses where I can store all of my goods. He, says, he said, then I have many goods stored up for many years. So I am going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. What was he doing? The, his, his riches had deceived him into a false sense of security. He thought, because I have all of these goods, I'm okay. God said, surprise, 
this happens to be your last night. Then where, where, who's going to get all that stuff that you stored up? You see, money does that if you're not careful. I said money does that if you're not careful. If you're not alert to that, it will, it will lull you into thinking that, you know, you've just got everything covered. I've got all of this money or I have all of this income or I have all of these possessions and because of these possessions, everything is just good. Everything is just wonderful and I'm just always gonna be this way because I've accumulated all this stuff. Well, uh, go go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now to begin with, again, people take one passage of scripture and think that the Bible, this is everything the Bible says about this subject. Some people have taken this verse of scripture to say that you're not supposed to have savings accounts. You're not supposed to save anything. You're not supposed to put anything in the bank. You're not supposed to put anything away. But the Bible actually teaches saving. You go back and read the Proverbs. You go back and read the book of Proverbs. The Bible actually teaches saving. The Bible actually teaches not living uh, on the edge where you're just consuming everything you have. But but. Having some money set aside. The Bible actually teaches that. So Jesus could not have been teaching against basic savings. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. But verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in your heart on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying that in the earthly realm, if you put your if you put your heart into your things that you've stored up, if that's where your heart is, those things are vulnerable. That enemy can wipe you out if your heart is in your savings, if your heart is in your storing up, if that's where your heart is, because where your treasure is, he said, that's where your heart is. He said, do not store up treasures in the natural because loss is always present. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If if your heart is in what you can do for God, if your heart is, 
is storing up blessing uh, in heaven by honoring God and doing what God said to do with your money. You're not, you're, you may have bank accounts, you may have savings accounts, you may have things that you've provided in the natural, but those aren't where your heart is. Your real treasure is in heaven. It has to do with, with what's in here more than what's in here. Okay? Now, with this idea of treasure, go back to, to uh, 1 Timothy again, where we were, 16th, 17th verse. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, thinking you're better, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, now notice, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Well, see, this verse right here would would contradict verse number nine if you just looked at verse number nine in isolation of something else. Because verse number nine says you you shouldn't even desire to be rich, and then verse uh, 17 says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, thinking that you're somebody, nor trust in uncertain riches, because they can't be trusted, but in the living God, because he can be trusted, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Notice, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. If you look up in in a Greek... uh, concordance or a Greek commentary where it says ready to give and willing to share. Those are two different words, but they both have the same meaning and they mean to be generous. It's two different words, but that's their meaning. Let them do good that they be rich in good works and generous, ready to give, willing to share. You know, I said the other uh, Sunday, a few Sundays ago, that you know, I, I, I always carry around money so that when the Lord speaks to me and says, here, you know, there's somebody with a need, bless them, I can just, I can just act on it right then. And, uh, but I also said, you know, I don't just go to the mall and walk through the mall saying, oh, Lord, show me somebody to give my money to. Show me somebody to give my money to. I'm just looking for something. I don't, I don't approach it that way. On, a, on, a, on a, a fairly, not every day or even every week, but a, but a fairly consistent uh, uh, basis, I'll just remind the Lord, now, Lord, you know, you've blessed me with this money and I'm open for you to speak to me. And then I don't think about it again. Because if you take this idea, if you take this mindset that you're just looking for somebody to give to, you'll, you'll start following erroneous leadings. No, I, I feel like if, if I've dedicated my money to the Lord and he knows it's available and I'm sincere in my heart, I, I, I expect him to get my attention, not me get his attention. And so I'm ready to give. I'm willing to give. That's what generosity is. Gener, gener, a generous heart is someone, first of all, who has a heart to be a blessing. They're ready. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll be a blessing. But God is not going to ruin you. He's not going to rub his hands together and say, ooh, goody, goody, goody. I've got somebody that I can take everything they, they have. You know, they've opened their, their heart and I can just take everything, give it to somebody else. He won't do that. So he, he instructed the rich here. He said, let him do good 
be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Now notice, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Laying up for themselves a good foundation. Jesus said it this way. Do not lay up treasures on the earth where they can be taken from you, but instead lay up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is is where your heart is. So let your heart not be in the things that you've laid up on the earth, but let your heart be in the things that you've laid up in heaven. And here's how you do it. You store up for yourself a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Uh, uh, change a word here. I don't do this lightly. Where it says eternal life, the Greek word for eternal is never used as eternal except in this passage. This is, this is the way the older King James was translated and I'm really quite surprised that the new King James kept this, this word in this verse. Because Every other place where you go through and run your concordance and look at the Greek words, every other place, Jesus or the apostles or anybody talked about eternal life. The word eternal is a word that means, in those settings, it's a word that means unending, perpetual, having no beginning, having no ending. It's what eternal means. And it's used consistently through the New Testament. There's a, there's a couple of ver- words, they're, they're almost identical. They're, you know, one's an adjective, one's an ad- noun, I think but they're the same words. This word is not even related to those words. This word that's translated eternal does not mean eternal. I, like I said, this is, a, this is a terrible translation. What does this word mean? Go back to uh, chapter five. I'll show you what it means. Verse number three. This is talking about how you, the church takes care of those in, in the church who do not have kids to take care of them and if, they, if these widows meet certain qualifications. It says in verse three, honor widows who are, everybody say it after me. What does that word say? Really widows. Honor widows who are really widows. That word that's translated really is the same word that's translated eternal. To read on down, verse number, let's see, that was verse five. Verse verse three, verse five says, now she who is really a widow, and then if you drop on down to verse number 16, "If if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and let do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. That's the word that's translated eternal in chapter, or in verse number 19, 619. And again, it's not, it's not translated eternal anywhere else. It's always translated really or surely or something like that. And so many translations read it this way. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on the real life. That's literally how that reads. That they may lay hold on the real life. Listen, real life, 
The real life is not running after money. The real life is living to be a blessing. That's the real life. That, I'm telling you, that's where life becomes so rewarding and so much fun. Man, when my wife and I, we learned that early on, I mean, in 86, where we were, we were just believing God, you know, to, 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 to make the budget. And God blessed us to the degree that we could bless somebody else. Now, we could have kept that money because, you know, we still didn't have a paycheck. We could have kept that money and said, well, you know, and there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it. But we could have said, well, you know, God's blessed us with this extra. And we, you know, don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, we'll hold on to this. But there was somebody there with a need. And we learned, it, it, it was, you just can't imagine how much we enjoyed that conference. We went to that conference and that other pastor got to go, you know, and he, he and his wife were not going to be able to attend because they didn't have the money. It was, I mean, I enjoyed it more for their benefit than I did for mine. It was just so exciting. Paul was telling the rich here, he says, be ready to give, be willing to, to share, storing up for yourself a good foundation for the time to come. Well, now that's not talking about in heaven. That's talking about you're laying up for yourself a good foundation for the, for the time to come, for the economy to come, for, the, for, the, uh, uh, for whatever comes next. In life, you're laying because you're putting your treasure in heaven. Your heart is in your giving more it is more than it is in your collecting. That's why I say all the time, you know, uh, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, how in the world can that be? How can it be more blessed? We get excited about the receiving. Matter of fact, somebody told me this morning we prayed for for Willie's da- daughter. You know, to get the, the better job, we prayed for her. She got the job, and Willie told me this morning, she said, and it was more money. It was a pay raise. I said, well, praise the Lord. You know, that's a common reaction. Anytime money, people get more, people say, praise the Lord. It's great to get more. Jesus said, it's even better to give than it is to get more. Now, we all know how good it is to get we know how blessed it is to receive. We, there's nothing wrong with Willie or her daughter rejoicing. I rejoice with them. She got a pay raise. Hallelujah. If you get one, everybody in the church will, re, will rejoice with you. So it's wonderful to receive, but it's even better to give. Because what you're doing is you're, you're putting your heart in a different place. Your heart isn't in earthly treasures. Your heart is in your heavenly treasure. Glory to God. And you know that when you do that, you're just laying up in store for the time to come. I knew, I, my wife and I both knew when we helped that other pastor and his wife go to that conference, we knew, oh boy, we are setting ourselves up. We are setting ourselves up. And you know what? We were. It wasn't but just a, a couple months, everything changed in the church and, and we not only got our, our uh, salary back, we got a raise. <laughs> Hallelujah. It always works that way if you'll have a generous heart. God wants us to be generous. He doesn't want us to be, he doesn't want us to be tied to money. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Well, I'll stop here. Praise the Lord. It's it's noon. Glory to God. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'll I'll talk about how do you know if you love money. You know, there are some ways to tell. I have uh, some points here that might help you. How do you know if you love money? Well, I like to be blessed. That's not love of money. To enjoy, listen, I'll just give you a preview. To enjoy blessing, to enjoy blessing is not loving money. I can prove it to you from the Bible. That's not the love of money. We'll identify what it is, though. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we love you today. We thank you that you do give us richly all things to enjoy. (laughs) Oh, yes, 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 yes. All things. You give us richly, lavishly, abundantly, all things. Glory to God. Oh, we thank you, Father. We can enjoy those blessings. You said you give us richly all things, not to make us sad, but to make us glad. All things to enjoy, all things to use, to bless and honor you. Glory to God. We thank you, Father, that your heart is to prosper us. And Father, we just want our heart to be like your heart. Just like you love to bless us and love to prosper us, you want us to take that same heart and and, and feel that way towards other people that we can bless. We come to a place in our lives where we love to bless. We love to give. We love to help people. It's the real life. That's really life. That's really living life free. Free from bondage, free from covetousness, free from greediness, freedom from deception, freedom from trusting in the wrong things, freedom from looking at ourselves like we've accomplished something and we've done something. When we realize, we begin to realize that we are a channel and that our blessing is because of what somebody else has done. Jesus and others have blessed and poured into our lives and we in turn bless and pour into other people's lives. Father, we, help us to see that, we, that you want us to be that channel of blessing. That, that vessel that can carry the blessing to somebody else. And then in, in, in the midst of that carrying and channeling that blessing, you meet all of our needs. You give us our heart's desire. The things that we want, you give to us. You bless us with abundance. And so that we can drive the best and wear the best and, and eat the best and live in the best. But our hearts are right. Glory to God. And we're, and we're eager to welcome somebody else in and to share in our blessing. Glory to God. That is living the real life. Father, help us all to see it. Help us all to move into that place of generosity and living to bless others. Glory to God, because we know know this brings honor and glory to you. 
This establishes the covenant of God in our lives, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.